0: Hello and welcome to Enough the Podcast, a show for highly driven leaders whose lives look shiny on the outside, but inside, you're secretly exhausted. Maybe you're even burnt out, but nobody would know. In spite of your impressive achievements, you never feel quite good enough, and you're sure that the next win, or the next house refurbishment, or the next cool outfit, or the next relationship, or the next loss of a couple of kilograms, or whatever is shimmering like a mirage on the horizon. That will be it. And then you will arrive and then for absolutely sure you will feel good enough in your own skin. Welcome. I have also lived in that myth. So I'm so glad you're here. This show I hope will help you to feel a little more at ease and that you're not alone. So I'm trying something new this week. It's story time here on the pod. So I'm going to take you back about 10 years smack dab into the middle of my own healing journey from burnout. I was more or less recovered from the worst of it. I'd done the functional medicine work. I'd started meditation. I'd had acupuncture. I'd done shiatsu. Things were on the upswing slowly, slowly. And my functional medicine practitioner said that she'd taken me as far as she could on this leg of my healing journey. She said the rest was an inside job. So she suggested that I work with a coach and some somatic practitioners who would help me get out of my head and into my body. My perfectionism was still very much on the maladaptive side, and I had tried using it to hack my healing. I'd followed the supplement routine with laser precision. I had set out to become the best ever meditator. I bought all the apps and the lotus candle and... I thought if I do it three times a day, I will for sure get back to my old self even faster. I did a mindfulness course two or three times, like I'm going to really get there faster than anyone else and do it better. Um, So yeah, there was still a lot of inner work to do, a lot in particular around judgment of myself and others. And that's what today's story episode is all about, judgment and self-criticism. Before we kick off, I have author and psychotherapist, Catherine Morgan Schaffler, reappearing for a few cameo insights after our last conversation in the previous episode. And you don't need to have listened to episode 57 for this one to make sense, but do check her out. She's a lot of fun and wise too. In her book, The Perfectionist's Guide to Losing Control, Catherine says something super important, and I quote, whenever we judge others we create separation between us and them. Whenever we judge ourselves, we create separation between parts of ourselves that we think deserve goodness and the parts that we think don't. When we judge ourselves in either direction as better than or less than, we make our worth conditional and set ourselves up for shame. The more you meet others with non-judgment, the more you enable that attitude towards yourself. Mm, so good. I'm delighted to have Catherine back. Oh, and there's one other um, guest who you'll meet in this storytime episode. She is my inner critic, who I've named Judgy Janet, JJ for short. She is the most critical, judgmental part of me that believes that unless I am perfect, that I'm not worthy of love you might have a judgy Janet too. So grab your oat milk latte or your bevy of choice and let's hunker down for this true story I'm gonna narrate to you today. By the way, names and some identifying details have been changed. So for context, my coach had encouraged me to attend a women's retreat that was designed to heal the past and to get out of one's head. So if you've ever been one to avoid feelings and to effort and logic your way through life, this one's gonna be for you. I used to be a head on legs, so I get it. So by the way, there are adult themes in this episode, so earphones recommended. I was at a wild woman retreat, designed to heal the past, but aside from a few references to group work and dancing, the website gave no specifics about the program. The small print did say, bring a sarong, a handheld mirror, and an open mind. (laughs) Ooh, I took that last bit to mean that folks would cry a lot and talk about their feelings. (laughs) Oh joy, but I could do this. So I sat cross-legged in a circle of women, all silent and smiling these tight little smiles. And my inner critic, who I'd named Judgy Janet, was there too, though I'd really tried to ditch her at home. At least she'd kept her gob shut so far. Cassie was our group leader, and she opened the circle by asking us to share our reasons for attending. So one woman said, I'm here to let go of past trauma, childhood stuff, bad relationships. All the others nodded. The next woman offered the same reason, more collective mm hmm I'm here to learn to love my body, another added. I am so done with hating on myself. The other woman nodded again and chimed in, me too, girlfriend, me too. I saw some clenched fists going up in the air, and then it was my turn. Well, hi, I'm Mandy, and I'm here because I've been recovering from debilitating burnout for a couple of years, and I'm exploring all these different healing modalities with my life coach, hoping to get back to the old me as soon as possible, and my life coach thought I should come. So here I am. Nobody nodded, but they all smiled warmly. Janet piped up. Great job bonding with the others, you freak. Next was Margaret, a 60-something woman in a purple velour tracksuit with matching nails, lipstick, and jewelry. Her hair was coiffed and sprayed stiff like Margaret Thatcher's. She perched in a wing chair, overlooking the rest of us on the floor. Judgy Janet blurted out, What's up with Madame on the throne? She is beaming her better than thou. Look at everyone. There's me thinking, I'm ignoring you, JJ. Margaret cleared her throat and smiled nervously. Um, hello, everyone. I'm sorry I can't get down on the floor with you childhood polio, she said, pointing to her legs. Stiff as pokers they are. I hadn't noticed Margaret's walking sticks underneath her chair. She spoke again. I spent my first seven years in hospital, alone mostly. My parents didn't visit very often. They were busy with my brothers, and I got used to it eventually, but I really missed being cuddled. No one ever held me. My mind flashed to my daughter and then to an image of the child Margaret, alone and scared in a starchy, uh, like a pine saw smelling hospital, and I thought about how cuddly my own girl was at seven. Huggle buggles, that's what she called our embraces as we read bedtime stories together. I pictured my girl spinning in her green dress with the pink sequin trim on the hem. Look at me, mommy, look at me. Well I clapped and she said, I'm a princess. I bet Margaret never had a dress like that. Margaret continued, After I got married, I was diagnosed with multiple sclerosis. My husband was never interested in me physically, Lord knows I tried. He left me as soon as our son was grown. A few years ago, I was diagnosed with breast cancer, and after so much time in hospitals throughout my life... I declined the reconstructive surgery, so I am here to learn to love this body that has challenged me all my life. It's been cut, scarred, rejected, humiliated, but I'm still here and I have a lot to give. I glanced around the circle as Margaret spoke, not a dry eye in the room. Janet sighed. Here we go, half an hour in and the waterworks have already started. She's an overshare of that, Margaret. It's going to be a long weekend. I thought to myself, Would it kill you, JJ, to have feelings every once in a while? Even one? Janet's reply, We don't do feelings, darling. Too messy. The next day we were asked to turn up in our sarongs and to bring our hand mirrors. Cassie wasn't going to ask us to, um, inspect our undercarriages, was she? Surely not. This was England. In the dimmed room, cushions were set up by the wall, each with a flickering tea light next to it. "'Find a cushion and lean your mirrors against the walls, ladies,' Cassie said. "'Oh, and before you sit down, panties off, please!' "'Righty-ho, then.' I folded my underpants into a teeny shower cap-sized bundle and sat on my cushion awaiting further instruction." Cassie paced the floor and said, "'Meet Yoni. Gaze at her.'" Judgy Janet piped up. "'Who's Yoni? Which woman is she?' As if she'd heard Janet, Cassie continued, "'Yoni is the Sanskrit term for vagina. Many of us hold emotions there, like shame and anger and pain from past relationships. Look at your Yoni's delicate curves. See her beauty, her soft color." I loosened my turquoise sarong and adjusted my mirror. I can do this. I can be good at this. Janet again. You paid all this money to inspect your muff? Well, at least your lady garden is trimmed. The conditioner this morning was a nice touch. Look at your yoni without judgment, Cassie urged, still pacing. Ask her what she needs. JJ just can't help herself. Sweet or salty snack? Gin or tonic? Magazine? Oh, JJ, can you just not? I wanted to be so much cooler about this exercise. I wanted to be able to look at myself and feel something deep and life-changing and profound. Cassie shouts, praise her! And here's JJ singing a bad karaoke version of Stevie Wonder's, isn't she lovely? Margaret was sobbing which snapped me out of my stupidity. Margaret was going for it, feeling the feels, sharing her childhood wounds, relationships, disappointments, body stuff, all of it. And here's me being a knob. I'd have to report back to my coach that in spite of the copious notes I'd taken after every session of the wild woman retreat, I wasn't fully invested. Not like Margaret. Cassie again. Honor the feminine with your attention. Appreciate her. Come on, Mandy. Mandy. I can do this. I don't fail at stuff. I realized in that moment that I'd never acknowledged my femininity this literally. I'd never looked down at myself. Actually, that wasn't true. Two days after giving birth, I hoiked my leg up on the bathroom counter to inspect my throbbing stitches with this very same hand mirror. I pressed my swollen, tired-looking folds, pliant as overripe plums. But that was a medical inspection. It wasn't ceremonial and appreciative. Maybe it should have been. I had pushed a substantial-sized human through a small portal. Nice one, Yoni. Respect. Cassie shouts, What do you want to say to her? Look at her. Tell her. I took a glance in my mirror at my actual vagina. Hey, I'm your, um, owner. I've never really acknowledged you, but no, I never made it past the awkward small talk stage. Time was up. Cassie wrapped up the session. Over vegetarian lunch, I asked the others if they, you know, honored their yonis on a regular basis. And many had a practice or some sort of ritual. Who knew? One woman said she had a few crocheted vaginas on her altar at home. You can buy them on Etsy, she said. All different sizes and colors. I said I'd have a look. Later that night on my laptop, I entered a whole new world online. There were crocheted tissue box covers that looked like vaginas. Key rings, earrings, tea cozies, all shaped like lady parts. But, um, baby steps. So I started by ordering Naomi Wolf's book, Vagina, that Cassie had referred to all weekend long. I would research the heck out of this yoni stuff, but for now, the vag altar could wait. When I returned home after all that expansion, the vulnerability hangover pummeled me. J.J. was more vitriolic and sharp-tongued than ever. That wasn't real, you know, all that community and femininity and sharing your pathetic, gaping wounds, you know? Let's put that shit show behind us, shall we? You had your little jolly, now it's back to business. I was disappointed that I hadn't eradicated my inner critic in spite of trying so hard. But had something shifted? J.J. felt just a wee bit less omnipotent although her viciousness and judgment had grown. What are you taking away from that scene for yourself? Did anything resonate? I can see how scared that judgmental and critical part of me was. Scared that she was losing control. Scared that her old superachiever self was gone forever. I was trying so hard to be woke and to eradicate JJ and her ever-present judgy commentary. I was going hard at my self-development. That had always been my approach to everything. You too? In her book, The Perfectionist Guide to Losing Control, Catherine Morgan Schaffler says that, and I quote, a radical approach is an extreme approach and that radical Anything sounds bold and sexy. It sounds like the thing cool people do. And meanwhile, incrementalism is not sexy. It's not thrilling. It's not trendy. Incrementalism is this little by little, inch by inch, slowly but surely, entirely unceremonious affair. Incrementalism is a hard sell, except that it's so effective, unquote. So the wild woman retreat and the many other things that I did in my, and I'm using air quotes here, radical healing journey, they didn't give me immediate results. I didn't get rid of JJ. I didn't stop judging myself or others, though I'm way better. And I'm trying not to make that sound like an achievement. I'm not nearly as cool as I would love to be. And radical does not always equal the fastest or the most desirable way. I didn't know to call it incrementalism at the time, but little by little, inch by inch, I've learned to coexist with JJ. I've realized that I don't need to get rid of old ways of thinking or try eradicating them, and neither
1: do you. Being able to manage your perspective is a really powerful tool because as opposed to monitoring your thoughts that are incoming one by one, which is sort of an approach of control. You're taking an approach of power by reframing the whole scenario, which automates different thoughts. You don't need to get rid of the old ways of thinking, right? That lane is probably always going to be there. And we can all just accept that and take it easy. It doesn't mean that you have to drive in that lane just because it's there. So, My suggestion is to create a couple of other lanes, at least one more lane. And that's the benefit of bringing in something new instead of pouring all your energy into trying to get rid of the old thing. And so, two differing thoughts can exist side by side. And the point is not to say, this one is better, I must focus entirely on this one and all of my thoughts need to be themed around this positive lane. The point is to understand that your perspective is a choice. The point is to be just open enough where you can see that two lanes exist because the we get into real trouble when we think that what we're thinking and experiencing is the truth. Because it almost never is. It almost never is. And that's what really causes myopic black and white thinking that really limits what we feel we can do about a problem or about something in ourselves that we don't know what to do with. Catherine's tool of the perspective
0: shift is so helpful. Your inner critic's judgments of you and others can live in one lane of your mental motorway, but there are more lanes. Perspective is a choice. JJ gets to be there, and so does your inner critic. It's real, yes, but it's not the truth. You can change lanes. So you might be wondering, what the heck does this scene of my retreat story and uh, me talking to my lady parts have to do with leadership or self-development or even healing from work stress and burnout? Well, so much of our relationship to work and achieving comes from our relationship to our worth and our beliefs about deservingness to have good things happen in our lives So this story I shared, it shows a cross-section of the beliefs and the shoulds and the inner self-talk that can emerge when we begin the work of understanding ourselves more deeply. This is just one way of doing it. It's not the way. It was my way. It was one of the things that I did on my healing journey. And as I always say in the intro to this podcast, these are the leadership conversations that almost no one is having. I am deeply interested in that hot little motor that burns underneath high achievement. What is that? So what role does one's nasty, tempestuous inner critic play? And how much does that criticism need to affect us and wheedle its way into how we show up in our lives? You don't have to have attended a retreat like this to know how your own inner critic responds when you try something new. Oh, by the way, we also did naked dancing on that retreat to Shania Twain Music, and JJ loved that. (laughs) Not. But that's a story for another day. So I hope Catherine's insight about not needing to get rid of your old ways has dropped your shoulders two inches. Judgy Janet has a lane that's all hers in my head, and so does your inner critic. And we both know what it's like driving in that lane, right? There are no surprises. It's always critical. There's never a good word to be said. No encouragement. It's always judgmental. It's always intense, and there's always tons of self-criticism. So one thing I want Catherine to talk about briefly before we wrap is comparison, which in my experience is never far from judgment and criticism. They're kind of like the three stooges. So in her book, she talks about comparison as a form of self-punishment. Oof, I felt the truth of that deep in my bones. So if we're going to emerge from this episode incrementally wiser about changing lanes from self-punishment to self-compassion, what do we need to know about comparison, Catherine?
1: Comparison isn't as much about comparison as it is about judging people's deservedness for goodness, judging their worth. And if you don't want to be a judgmental person, then understand that when you compare yourself to other people who you think are doing better than you, that's the same as Telling someone else who you don't think is doing as well as you that they're not as worthy of all the things that you are worthy of. You know, I mean, I think the spine of the book is really about self worth. And it's really about understanding that at every moment, you are worthy of all the joy, dignity, connection, and freedom that the world could ever offer anybody, right? So the perfect ideal you that you see in your head is as worthy of feeling good, of having connections, of being loved, of feeling free in their own lives to do whatever they want to do. They are as worthy of that as you sitting here are now without accomplishing all of the like, whatever your gold stars are, you know, uh, looking a different way, Having a different house, having a different title, making a different salary, all these things that we attach to our worth, like at the end of the day, you have to internally source that stuff.
0: I'm going to share a book of wisdom from Catherine's book. Here's what she says. When you withhold compassion from yourself, you withhold your gifts and unique presence from others. Trying to show up as your full self while simultaneously punishing yourself is like you're trying to give a massage to someone who's jogging. No version of it works. You can't be as patient, creative, strong, loving, or reliable when you're punishing yourself. You can't be you. I'm still stuck on that visual of trying to give a massage to someone who's jogging. Brilliant. The takeaways I hope you have from today's inaugural storytime session are you can change lanes. The self-punishment of your inner critic and the criticism and judgment that it spews are real, but they're not the truth. You can notice, put your indicator light on and move into another more self-compassionate lane. You can find Catherine's details in the show notes. Do check out her fabulous book, The Perfectionist's Guide to Losing Control. And um, I've obviously not given Judgy Janet an Instagram page. So before you head back into your day, please go ahead and hit the follow button on the show. And if you're called to, I'd be so darn grateful for an Apple podcast or Spotify rating. They really help the show more than you know. As ever, thank you so much for listening and let's do this all again in two weeks.